welcome now to episode 10, a bit of an anniversary episode of the Daz and Daz NBA podcast. And I'm joined by Darren Hill again, and I was going to throw to Darren shortly, but I wanted to first say it's been since uh, Wednesday last week that we had our last podcast, and it feels like about a month has gone past since, uh, since we last spoke, because so much has happened in the NBA during that time. Uh, and I just wanted to go over some of the things before I over them about what's happened. So since we last spoke, we sort of left it and thought that Kawhi Leonard and LeBron were probably the favourites for MVP. And since then, we've seen James Harden and Russell Westbrook have magnificent games and beat the Cavs and the Spurs, respectively. Um, I think they both outplayed LeBron and Kawhi. Though Kawhi was concussed in that game, so Kawhi's got concussed, missed the Warriors game. We've got LaMarcus Aldridge has, uh, since that game against OKC, been diagnosed. Well, he was actually already had the heart condition, but there's been a reoccurrence of that, so he's now out indefinitely doing tests for that. We don't know what that's going to mean for the Spurs going forward. Um, we've also had some last-second victories that might have knocked some uh, Western Conference playoff teams out of the race or certainly made it much harder for them. Uh, and I think in a season where we sort of started out thinking... It was going to be Golden State, Cleveland in a cakewalk and we were really more looking at the younger teams in the league and even looking to the future beyond this season. I can't remember a season with more twists and turns than this one. Maybe it's like this every year, but it just sort of seems this year with, with a four, a genuine four-way race for MVP, all the playoff seedings or a lot of the key playoff seedings still up in the air. Um, it, it just seems like such an amazing season compared to what we probably anticipated uh, it would be at the start. But what, what are your thoughts, Darren, on all that's happened uh, since we last spoke on Wednesday? It seems the thing that jumps out at me is you mentioned the Kawhi, you know, with the concussion and LaMarcus is the, uh, I remember years past, you know, we'll have where Derek Rose went down with the knee and then KD had that one year with the foot. And you remember the playoffs seemed to be I remember them by one or two superstars, you know, really affect the playoffs. And just, we just go down the list, right? Um, Blake and, and Chris Paul missed huge chunks of the season. Obviously, Kevin Love is still out. Lowry's still out. KD is out. Now this with LaMarcus Allridge. Um, and so it's just literally every contender, all the main contenders, minus Houston, if you want to lump them into the contenders group, have some sort of significant injury. And so the intrigue of what we thought was, you know, it almost felt like a fait accompli for the first 50 games. It's going to be Golden State, Cleveland, you know, part three, part trois. <laughs> um, and so it's, you know, you never obviously don't wish these injuries on on, on, on guys, but the, the injuries have created a lot of intrigue. And I think that colored a lot of the the stuff at the playoff at the playoff deadline at the trade deadline. All these teams like making some really key moves, and we've seen some fascinating basketball since. So in a way, the injuries have made it a lot more interesting. Yeah, I think there's a lot of teams now that consider themselves contenders. Where I mean, yeah, look at the Wizards, who we'll talk about a bit later. They would not have considered themselves to be contenders at the start of the year, but with the injuries, and I guess just with the Cleveland haven't haven't looked unbeatable. I don't think Golden State 
have necessarily looked unbeatable. Even when Durant's been there, they're, they're certainly favourites, but they haven't been the, this sort of unstoppable force that I think people may have expected they were going to be. Uh, and I personally, I, I have no wish to see the Cavs and the Warriors again. I mean, we've seen them for 13 finals games, and really I can't remember one good game out of the 13. Maybe I'm a little bit biased, but uh, it's not a matchup that I necessarily get that excited about. Although, having said that, the Christmas Day game this year was a highlight of the season so far. So hopefully that's the level of basketball we can see if they meet again in the finals. But I think that's what's been fascinating about it more recently is you can just see these other teams coming out and saying, well, hang on, why not us? Why, why, why can't we make a run at this title? And taking some confidence from the fact that uh, Golden State have got the injuries and Cleveland have also, with Kevin Love being out, got the injuries. But aside from that, I guess, Darren, what what did you, what was any takeaways that you might have had from some of the weekend games and some of the games that have taken place uh, since we last spoke? Well, something that you and my you and I mentioned offline, and I'm a little bit of a, I suppose, a basketball artist or romantic, maybe is the better term. But there was a lot of there's been a lot of matchups of the top teams, right? So I saw we saw Houston Cleveland today. That game just finished, you know, a few hours ago, um, and Cleveland Spurs. What was that? That was just a couple of days ago, wasn't it? Or sorry, no, Golden uh, State versus Spurs. Golden State right? Spurs, but that was a sort of basically a matchup of the backups. Um, it was really, I mean, OKC Spurs, Rockets, Cavs uh, were two of the marquee matchups that we've seen uh, since then. Yeah, I guess so. So um, my bad memory aside, <laughs> um, who just played? Um, boy, I certainly remember Houston Cleveland. That was fun to watch. But um, what I'm enjoying is the study and contrasts where these teams have, they have an identity and they're going to do what they do well and and they're, when they see the, the contrasting styles clash, that's what I love. And so when I see, you know, the clash of a, you know, at full strength Spurs versus Golden State, um, just such different styles of play. Or today, the completely different styles of play between, you know, um, the Rockets and the Cavs, aside from their defensive indifference. I go, they've, maybe they've found that in common. Mm. Um and that, that's uh, the thing, I think, just to interrupt you there, that, that was what I was okay. thinking about on the weekend. With, uh, st- I'd like to ask Steve Kerr and just say, how much of a challenge it, would it be for Golden State to have to play Houston and then San Antonio in, a, in two back-to-back playoff series? Because you would not have two dip, more contrasting styles in the NBA than those two teams at the moment. You know, I mean, the Spurs playing the old-fashioned dumping in the post, a lot of long-range yep. twos, shooting a good percentage from three, but not shooting a lot of threes, whereas Houston coming out and openly saying, <clears throat> we want to shoot 50 threes a game, you've got to chase James Harden around the court for four quarters. Very, very different styles. I wonder how much of a challenge that will be for, say, a Golden State if they do slip into that two seed, and that's the road that they have to take. And then, of course, Cleveland, which is another contrast in styles, uh, potentially in the finals. Boy, Cleveland's defense is terrible. <laughs> they are, no, they I don't, seem I don't... to be able to pick it up when they need to. I mean, I guess it's a little bit like that Miami, and I've said this a few times, where Cleveland feel like, oh, we have another gear we can go to. But 
can they find that gear now? They certainly haven't shown it much in the regular season. I guess that's the that's the only question. I, I suppose that's fair. But they sure look like they're trying to win. I go, you don't play LeBron 40 a night and Kyrie doesn't shoot 28 times, you know? And they don't seem like they're... They just don't seem like they're coasting. And so that's what I maybe I'm a little bit seeing the vulnerability of the Cavs. Because they got less than zero rim protection. So as much as we've joked about, you know, Bogut getting $2 million um, for a minute of action, and now the rumors of Cleveland perhaps getting um, my favorite maniac, Larry Sanders, exclamation point, Mm. is the new rumor. But I genuinely think they need someone on the interior. This, the way, look, Harden gets the basket against just about anybody, but when he's, he's, um, they're doing pick and roll and um, Kyrie is, is a matador on a good day. Um, and they got, they kept um, picking in, and Tristan Thompson would be picking up. And I go, Tristan Thompson on the perimeter, Harden must have had eight layups, you know, just right over the top of him and just took Tristan to the, to the basket. And so I go, I'm genuinely worried about, worried but the vulnerability of Cleveland for a team like uh, um, who can get to the rack, I guess like Isaiah Thomas or, or James Harden. I, I just go that that's not an effort thing. There's nobody there. Hmm. So uh, that's, that's going to interest me about the East in particular is what's Cleveland. I think Cleveland is going to have to make a move. I actually think they're going to do something crazy like a Larry Sanders and he's going to end up playing 15 minutes a game in the playoffs. Oh, if they sign Larry Sanders, he won't be playing 15 minutes a game in the playoffs. 16. (laughs) (laughs) There's no chance. He he will not have a relevant moment uh, if they sign him. He'll be a Greg Oden sitting on the end of the bench like he did in Miami. Um, I I agree with you. I think they're going to do something in terms of signing a player. But don't forget, Houston's a very difficult... I mean, that's the most difficult defensive matchup at the moment in the league and D'Antoni and Harden are just absolute geniuses at making it so that you, if you have a big man on the floor, James Harden will be on, with him one-on-one and you need to try and manipulate that so that that doesn't happen and I didn't see the game today maybe Ty Lue wasn't couldn't quite get that done I'm not quite sure what would have happened there. But see, it's not as simple as saying, well, we want LeBron on James Harden because obviously within the pick and roll, they can manipulate whichever matchups they want. And that's what I noticed most about the Spurs. It was the real chess match of Popovich trying to manipulate a matchup where Kawhi could go one-on-one with Harden. And it was very difficult because D'Antoni's an expert on, on the offensive end. And if you've got Dwayne Dedman out there or you've got Tristan Thompson out there, He's going to manipulate something, whether it's with Clint Capella, whether it's with Ryan Anderson, whether it's with uh, Trevor Ariza, whoever it is, and he's either going to... Harden's going to find someone for an open three, he's going to be lobbing it up for a dunk, or he's going to be taking it to the rim himself. Um, Very, very difficult matchup for a team, any team in the league. And if you've got a couple of defenders out there that aren't switched on, which Cleveland have almost every night, they'll have two or three guys that just are not switched on on the defensive end, uh, you're going to have problems and you're going to concede 120 points like what we saw from them today. Yeah, they've won something like 12 of their last 16. And I look at the teams who they lost to. They lost a nail-biter, or you'd remember, they, they lost to the Spurs by two. Mm. Um, and they got the two other losses in this, this string, 
to the my um, to the Hassan Whiteside Heat and to Rudy Gobert in in the Jazz. You know, these that's the only types of teams where you go Hassan and Gobert that seem to I think give are going to give Houston consistent trouble. I know I've been saying it for a couple of weeks. Why I go? That's why I if I'm Golden State, that is the that's the worst possible matchup because Houston will shoot 55 threes. And who's got who's Golden State got? Is it going to be JaVale McGee having to play significant minutes at the rim? So I, I'm thinking, mm. you know, recency bias, totally acknowledged. But watching Houston today just absolutely do whatever they wanted against LeBron and the Cavs, um, pretty effortless. And Cleveland wanted to win that game. Now, yes, Cleveland was on the second day of a back-to-back. So, you know, they weren't probably had the maximum spring in their step, but Harden barely breaks a sweat. I'm, yeah, but the problem think, for Houston is they don't play defense at the other end either. So um, if they're having any sort of an off-shooting night, that's that's really problematic for them. And that was the thing against the Spurs. Lou Williams, I think, shot one of nine. So he came out, was ice cold, and that really decided the match. Um because once he came on and they had that little lull in scoring, they're, they're not stopping anyone down the other end. And so well, that's I guess the flip side of that coin. I guess that's fair. I know that I guess the math, I guess I'm about the math and I'm, I'm about the, what I like about Houston is they're just stay true to their knitting in this kind of where I bring my, you know, not being an NBA player, obviously, but, but I bring sort of my, you know, just thinking about organizational behavior and we've got a group of people, a team environment who has an identity, and they've got a very, very clear imprinted identity, even before D'Antoni came, and certainly after D'Antoni and signing Anderson and Gordon. They are exactly what you think they are, and they double down with a Lou Williams. And I, it's a fair criticism, right, about what the capability as in terms of team concepts on the defensive ends. But part of me goes then they're not the Houston Rockets. If the Houston Rockets go and get themselves a, well, I don't know, let's say a, you know, a, a more one-dimensional type of player, a lockdown sort of defender, I don't know what, you know, what that means, or they start you know, scheming to try and do all kinds of things that you know, putting, um, putting their de- defensive players in different positions, that's going to affect their transition game. That's going to affect their rebounding it's going to affect the way they win games is by being, you know, ridiculously efficient on the offensive end. So what I like about it, and it's a fair comment, right? D'Antoni hasn't won a title before, but this is who they are. And I like that they're staying, they're staying true to it. I'll be, I'll be interested to see what happens uh, with them uh, when they meet a Golden State or depending on who they meet in the playoffs and how those matchups sort of work out for them. Because I think if they... If the matchups fall right for them, they could certainly, uh, you know, yeah, and and, and certainly well, Golden State will be an out and out shootout. Looks like they're gonna, they'll definitely, almost certainly avoid Utah in the first round. So it looks like Houston will get Houston basically is locked into three, right? That's not gonna move. It looks like OKC or Memphis, and are they afraid of? Are they afraid of our, Memphis is in free fall? They're like suddenly the bulls of the West. Um, they've lost five in a row. Um, actually, think you know who's a worse matchup for Houston, OKC or Memphis? 
Uh, I, I would say OKC. Or, is, or either of them are bad. Yeah, OKC's tries, defense OKC's is horrible. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I would love if Russ Westbrook plays the way he played against the Spurs for the rest of the season, that's going to be a different team. And that's going to be... And having said that, if the supporting cast turn up the way they did against the Spurs, uh, Oladipo had probably his best game of the season. Cantor um, killed the Spurs again. So if if those guys turn up, they're obviously a much different proposition in OKC than they are away from home as well. Their away record uh, is, is quite poor. I'm just looking at it now. Their away record is 12-20 and 20 and their home record 25-9. and nine. So... Totally different. I think they're a team that could probably push Houston to maybe six games, maybe even the seventh game. I don't think they're going to beat them. Whereas the Grizzlies... Um, look, if the Grizzlies are firing all sizzlers, there's another one where you think this is a team that's got a commitment to defence. They can pound the ball in low. They can slow the game down if it's going their way. So they may be a problematic matchup for Houston. But all things being equal, you would think that's, a, that's an easier matchup. For, for the Rockets, particularly given the fact that uh, the Grizzlies are three and seven in their last ten and not not playing at all well at the moment, lost five. Can you home. believe? Can you believe they paid Chandler Parsons ninety four million dollars? Well, that's my. That was my. Um, that's sort of my other. When I was looking at the playoff races and looking at key players and playoff races, and this is the one. That's one that's standing. I know he's been hurt for a chunk of the year, but in the, he's played 34, 35 games now. And boy, oh boy. Well, he's just not he, the same player. So it looks he's, like he's playing hurt. He, uh, he can't jump over a phone book at the moment. No, he's, he's in bad shape. Yeah. So no, the, there's no doubt that they've got some problems at the Grizz. They don't have the, the toughest. Uh, we've got the strength of schedule, uh, stats in front of me here, and they've got one of the easiest schedules. So of OKC, so between them and uh, Memphis and OKC, have got the easiest schedules in the West. Uh, so you would hope, for the, at least from the Grizzlies' point of view, they may be able to turn that poor form around. Uh, and but the other thing about the Grizzlies to remember is they won a lot of close games earlier in the season. I think we're now seeing some aggression to the moon on that, that they're losing a few close games, um, and maybe. You know they were never that good. I mean, if you if you compare them and the Timberwolves, for example, just on the point differential across the year, uh, the Timberwolves are doing much better, uh, but the Timberwolves have a worse record. So um, the Grizzlies maybe not quite as good uh, as what their record is showing, and, and maybe that's now coming back. They're coming back to the pack from that point of view. So if we saw the pencil in the Grizzlies in the seven, we give the th- thunder the six. We've got the Jazz and the Clippers. I think they're locked into four and five, depending on who knows who's going to host that. The Rockets <coughs> certainly, I don't think, can fall out of three. Warriors and the Spurs, as we spoke about before we come on here, that's that's a tough one to talk about now with Lamarcus Aldridge being out indefinitely. Um, and who knows, he may be out for the rest of the season. Um, what I'm hearing from the Spurs is that they're quite concerned about this. It is something that he's dealt with before. Um, when you first alerted me to it, I thought I had a feeling that I'd heard that before with Aldridge when he was in Portland and it happened to him uh, his first year just after he came out of the draft. And he also missed uh, 10 days, I think, in his second season with the Blazers. So it's something he's dealt with before, but they are fairly concerned about it. It's not life-threatening, from what I understand, but it is something that uh, they need to deal with before he can take the court again. So, but 
one, two, we'll wait and see how that plays out. If the Spurs beat Atlanta tomorrow, that is tied at 52 and 14 each at the top of the standings. But I guess the fascination at the moment with the Western Conference is in that 8, 9, 10, maybe even 11 spot if you want to go into the Timberwolves. The Timberwolves are at the moment three and a half games out. So that's a bit of ground to make up at the moment. Uh, the Trailblazers and Mavericks both had heartbreaking losses over the weekend. Trailblazers lost to the Wizards on a last-second shot from Marquise Morris, who stepped out of bounds before he actually hit the shot. Yep. And then the Mavericks lost to at home to the Suns, uh, an ice-cold Devin Booker. And I don't mean ice-cold like he was missing. He was ice-cold, an ice-cold assassin. He just murdered the 15,000 or whoever was in attendance for the Mavericks, I've never seen a building go so quiet. Uh, that guy is just a killer. What a player. That, that was fun. Uh, we talked about them a lot in our last pod, and I think we could probably fill another 10 minutes, but my goodness, is that a fun team to watch? Oh, that was... Isn't uh, it? Yeah. Marcus Chris played uh, centre in that game, and he had three yeah. blocks in the game, but it felt like he had eight blocks because he was just a monster. He, he To me, he's the most exciting young player in the league now that Embiid's out and I know Saric is putting up numbers at Philly but if you if you want to watch a good league pass team and a bit of excitement for a young team just flick on to the Phoenix Suns I won't spend too much more time talking about it but I'm so excited about Marquise Chris and Devin Booker at the moment they're, they're playing unbelievable yeah and TJ Warren as well I think mm. he doesn't get he gets sort of overshadowed because Bledsoe's had a good year but you see TJ Warren's like this almost perfect, perfect modern day wing who can hit this mid-range jumper and he can finish and he can rebound a bit. He can defend a little bit. It's just, uh, I can see the makings of this really nice, you know, one through five sort of squad. So yeah, but we probably shouldn't spend a lot of time on a, <laughs> Let's, a team with 20, who's won 32% of their games this year. <laughs> But um, but I, I but, see. Yeah, so, I mean, in terms of that eight seed, so the Nuggets at the moment, they're one and a half games up on the Blazers. Um, if you look at strength of schedule, uh, the Nuggets have uh, their point one. This so they, the Portland and Dallas have slightly easier schedules. Minnesota actually have the easiest schedule in the entire Western Conference to come home. Uh, but how do you see that playing out? I, I sort of see. I think the Nuggets will hold on, but I'm interested in your thoughts. I, it's like I so badly want to pull for, I don't know why, but I just like seeing um, Dame Lillard and, and McCollum in the playoffs. But so I, I'm sort of pulling for Portland. But you know, today, you know, they beat Phoenix today. But it took it took Lillard going for 39. You know, and, and the, um, their bench isn't their bench is terrible. And so I, I'd want to pull for Portland. I love Dame Lillard. I think Nurk just had a nice sort of um, revival with his new role there. But holy crap, does Noah Vonley, yeah, he's not – we haven't seen anything for him in a few years. I think it, you know, that trade's not worked out well for Portland. Mo Harkless is a nice player every third day. He disappears. Um, Myers Leonard is similarly to Vonley, just – all kinds of expectation that just hasn't quite developed into an impact player. Uh, Alan Crabb with his giant contract, you know, he has his moments, but I just see a, a really flawed team in Portland. 
and they're they're salary cap strapped as well. So mm. I think they're they're desperate to get in and get a few playoff games and have a bit of um you know I can see a bit of bravado with Dame and and CJ McCollum in a you know almost certainly be at most a five game series at Golden State. So I think they desperately want it. I just don't see it. I think Dallas can similarly you sort of just pull how do you not pull for Dirk? And what I've seen of Dallas actually is, you know, I see Rick Carlisle kind of like he's almost like my Eric Spolstra of the West, where you just see a a completely flawed roster with no talent anywhere, and he just coaches the crap out of them. Um and so I find myself again sort of pulling for Dallas for different reasons. But they're they're two and a half back at Denver and um you know, Jamal Murray's had some big fourth quarters um, and Jokic, right? How do you not like Jokic and what he's doing? Um, and they have enough depth, right? I think Denver just is going to – they're going to score. You know, they could outgun people. And they, they blew the Celtics off the court a couple days ago. So I did watch the – I didn't watch the whole game, but I, you know, I watched enough highlights. And, man, they, they just ran the Celtics off the court. Well, that's um, the thing about the Nuggets, and I said this to you. Uh, yesterday, they're either blowing teams out or getting blown out. So it's it's impossible to get a read on them about where they're going. And I think as as Jokic goes, generally as the team goes, if he has a monster, yeah, game, they seem to do really well. He's only young; that's what his second season now. So um, that's not to be unexpected. I'd, I'd personally like to see Denver get in if the Warriors get the one C in particular, because I think that's a very interesting matchup. Because I saw the game where they just blew the Warriors off the court. And that was when Durant was playing. Um, and look, that can happen on one night for any team. But they just have no matchup for Jokic. No answer whatsoever. And if the Warriors aren't having one of their good shooting nights, and it can happen, uh, I think Denver can run over the top of them. And that could be a sneaky sort of six-game series there and quite an entertaining one, depending on how it plays out. Whereas I think yeah. the Trailblazers... They're competing against anyone. I think they've got some big decisions to make in the off-season because you're not going to compete for anything in this league with McCollum and Lillard. No. Because they're both minus defensive players. And I'm hearing, I've read a couple of things about Portland which surprised me. They rate McCollum ahead of Lillard. From this point of view, obviously Lillard's on the bigger contract. So... They're thinking if someone gets moved in the off-season, it may very well be Dame Lillard, which would blow me away, but it could actually happen. I think they've got some decisions to make on one of those two guys um, and where they, and if they get moved and then, of course, what they get in return for that. Um, so that's sort of watch this space, I think, whether they make the playoffs or not. Uh, and quickly, yeah. the Mavericks, the Mavericks, Seth Curry, you know, I was looking at all-time leading three-point percentage players um, in the NBA today and I wanted to get the, um, the 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 current leader, the current day leader and Seth Curry is the current day leader of three point percentage and Steph is uh, is behind him so he actually has a better career three point shooting percentage than his brother at this point which blew me away uh, when I looked at that and he, he is playing some really good ball uh, there in Dallas lately, he didn't have a great game against the Suns yesterday but but between him and Pharrell um they're they're shooting the lights out on some nights and obviously they're the nights when uh when Dallas are doing well but again I I just question 
whether they can maintain that. And I think that, that loss to the Suns at home, that might be one that really does come back and bite them. Yeah, look, I, they just don't have the, the horsepower. They're well coached. They, they, they're they always in the spot. They just, J.J. Barea is playing big minutes and, mm. you know, Wes Matthews is all heart, but I think you and I saw it and we were commenting while it was sort of happening that, you know, Wes Matthews on his peak pre-Achilles, there's no way Devin Booker elevates above him and scores the, and Booker scored the final eight points of the game in four possessions, large, largely against Wes Matthews, who's a rugged, in-your-face defender. And so you feel like that, oh, you know, Dirk's lost a step. He's just still got a beautiful, beautiful shot. And he's a leader of, you know, leader of men. But yeah, they, they're just, I don't see them just with their age as well. I don't see them surging in March and April um, to catch up. I'm, to be honest, if you said to me the Nuggets were going to miss out, I'd almost put money on the Timberwolves. They've got the easiest schedule coming in. They're 6-4 and four in their last 10. Uh, they're finally starting to play some defense. Uh, I think you said to you last week, six of their last eight games, this may not be relevant now, but six of the last eight games, they've kept their opponents to under 100 points. So they're actually finally starting to play some sort of Tibbs-level defense. Carl Towns is absolutely destroying teams. Um, and they're just a sneaky team. And I, I, that, that's the team I'd absolutely love to see make the plus. I think they're probably sporting Denver to be a start. But if you said to me Denver miss out, that might be the team that I'm looking at um, to catch them even ahead of the Trailblazers and the Mavericks. I think where the, where the intrigue at the moment with seedings lies is um, in the Eastern Conference. And again, I think the 4-5... I'm happy to lock in the 4-5 with the Raptors and the Hawks. But let's talk first before we get to the 6-7-8-9 seedings about the top of the conference because there's now only a two-game gap between the Cavaliers, the Wizards and the Celtics. Uh, and, and you said to me the other day, are the Wizards now the favourites to get the two seed? And I said, I said to you, well, if they're the favourites to get the two seed, are they then the favourites to get uh, or, or potentially go and grab that one seed. Now, again, the talk about strength of the schedule, they've got the hardest remaining schedule of anyone in the Eastern Conference. Uh, Cleveland have got a reasonably difficult schedule as well. Boston have actually the easiest of all the playoff teams, uh, or apart from the Bulls, but we'll get to the Bulls later. Um, so how do you see the one seed playing out? I mean, are all three of these teams still right in there? Um, or, or are you happy to say, no, I think the Cavs are going to get their, their two games clear and, and they'll um, they'll have that extra year to go to should they need it? Look, I guess before I saw the Houston game today, and I, I hate putting too much stock in a tiny sample set, I, th- I always thought they've got this remaining gear and... Um, because Schumper actually played really well. He seems to be back. J.R. Smith hasn't found his form yet, that's for sure. He's not he's not he's still feeling his way. Um I'm I'm as I mentioned before, I'm desperately worried about that their interior defense. That's been a problem all year. I don't know I don't know how much effort. Can you give effort and make yourself seven feet tall? I don't know. No. So and- I'm gen I'm genuinely worried about Cleveland's defense, and they do have a rough they got a rough schedule. Well, they've got a West six in their last ten as well. So they've this, this is not this is not a, just a last couple of games slide. This is they yeah. have been playing well since the All Star break. Now one of those games they rested some guys, but 
I've, I've seen a few of their games and there's just something not quite right there with them. And whether, well, again, they're just waiting for the playoffs or not, I don't know. They got whooped. I mean whooped. And they played a home-and-home against the Heat, who don't get nearly enough airtime. I guess they're starting to get attention because the – and we'll talk about them in a minute, I think, as well. But they got, they got whooped. I mean, Hassan freaking Whiteside – it just there's no answer for him. They clear you get so many offensive boards and they get resetting the clock. And hope, Miami's leading the league in in three point field goal percentage since the All Star break. And Cleveland just didn't have an answer for the giant white side. Then they followed it up the next night and they got pounded by Drummond. And it just yeah. sort of continues, right? And then, then today Harden gets to the basket at will. And so they got the the white sides and Drummonds killing them in the interior. Harden gets to the basket at will. They, Houston had 20 offensive rebounds today. So I go, I'd like to believe that they're coasting and, you know, they probably will still be the heavy favorite, but man, they, they, they need Kevin Love. I thought they'd be okay without Kevin Love, but I'm saying, man, I don't know what his injury timeline's like, but boy, they better get him back before April once they have, you know, some, some time to, to get him into the into the swing. Well, they literally do not have a center on their roster at the moment. No. Um, I'm just looking at it now. They're trying to claim Channing Fry as a center. I don't think so. So <laughs> <laughs> they don't. So that, that's obviously a problem. And if it's if Channing that, Fry is a center, then Mirza Toledovic is a center. That's right. right. <laughs> There's no, come on. I thought it was a misprint. That no, so it's going to be interesting, right? They've got they got Detroit again next to see see if they get pounded by Drummond again. Then they got Gobert right after they got Utah. Mm. Then they get on the on the road and they go play DeAndre Jordan and Blake Griffin and the Clippers. So I think these next three games, again, the first two are at home, Detroit, Utah, and then the Clippers. I go, I, I, I don't often say this, but I go, they could lose two out of three. And I say you could find yourself suddenly where they're tied with the with the wizards or the wizards, as Bill Simmons likes to say. Yeah. So um, and I guess don't guess discount the Celtics. Easiest schedule uh, of those teams. I, we've discussed this before. Neither of us believe is in the Celtics longer term for this season. Yeah. Um, and I, I love, but I love the way the Wizards are playing as well at the moment. Would the Cavs? You know, the Raptors are sitting there at four or five. I don't think too many people want to play them either. So you might be better off going that 2-3 and, and looking at the Celtics. I know, I personally, I'd prefer to play the Celtics than the, the Raptors. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well. Assuming Kyle Lowry's so, back. So I'm, so I'm with you in the – so the Celtics have a – they have a – it's a cupcake schedule. It's lots of Brooklyn in the box and – Phoenix and the Knicks and Philly, it's it's a cupcake. They, I think there's literally two tough games where they may not be favored. Mm. They'd, be, they'd be favored home against Washington. They play Miami once, and then they're, they play Cleveland at home. They literally might be favored their last 17 games. It is cupcake. And then, so that's why I think Boston might have a bit of that, you know, their confidence should be riding high finishing April. Um, on the By contrast, and we think I think we're in violent agreement. The Wizards are a more complete team, and a more dangerous team. But man, they've got a road-heavy schedule, a bunch of back-to-backs. They've got Cleveland and at Boston and at the Clippers and at Utah and at Golden State, and they got at Miami and a home-and-home against Miami and at Detroit. It's just 
that's a and two against Charlotte, you know, who's fighting for a playoff spot as well. It's just it's the hardest so schedule it, in the NBA for the Wizards. Is it okay? Yeah. Well, that that confirms it then. But I guess so. You go if they can survive that, I think they'd be happy. Well, they'd be happy with the three seed. They probably don't care, but they're going to be they're going to be tested, right? Which I think is important for them for for John Wall and Bradley Beal, who've not had you know that sort of intensity. This this getting the mental toughness to play these these games is in a way will be much better preparation than what you know Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart and the guys are going to go through playing Brooklyn and Philly for the next two weeks. Yeah. So I think. I think you're right. I think that Boston will finish number two just because of the strength of schedule, but I think the Wizards are a better team. And in terms of then matchups, um, there's nothing that scares me about Toronto right now. So I kind of I kind of agree with you, but I kind of I've seen them as well and they're just that team that team without Lowry is is pretty ordinary. I didn't realize just how much he meant. I mean you look you see it, but this is where Zach Lowe, probably above, above all other sort of commentators in the league, has been on the Kyle Lowry is the most underrated player in the league bandwagon for a long time. And Corey Joseph is not Kyle Lowry in any stretch. And when DeRozan's miracle 19-footers aren't going in, hmm. that is not, that's not a beautiful-looking team, Daz. So I'm actually worried about the Raps, where I was probably, like yourself, really high on the the PJ Tucker and Ibaka acquisitions. And they've got lots of talent, but it just it's a bit clunky, Daz. It's really clunky. No, it doesn't I'll, I'll it take doesn't... the opposite view. Depending on if Larry comes back. Yeah. If Larry comes back, uh, and hopefully before the plus for their point of view, look, Corey Joseph's a backup point guard. That's that's all he is. He's not a starting point guard. He's a guy that might give you twenty good minutes, play some good D. And he plays in a number of his minutes, actually, with Larry on the floor as well. Um, so but to have him running your offense, it's just not going to work. And it might work one night out of every three or four, and that's sort of how it's playing out at the moment. But I still want to see this team. PJ Tucker, Sergio Barker, um, Kyle Lowry, Valentunas, DeRozan, that's the sort of five-man I want five man unit I want to see, how they bring the bench guys into that as well. Um, and then I'll then I think we're in better position to make a make a call on that. But if Larry comes back and he's 100, um, percent I think I think they're right up there with everyone else in the Eastern Conference. Okay, I'm I'm going to say seeing is believing. I don't like how they've played. I mean, I just I don't like it at all compared to Cleveland without Love, Golden State without Durant. Um, well, these guys State without Lowry. Well, Golden State are five and five in their last ten, and Toronto are six and four in their last ten. So, and I've seen some of them Warriors games. Now, admittedly, one of those games was um, uh, without their stars. But yeah, they've been they've been dreadful, dreadful. And and Steph Curry's getting to a point now where you're saying. Someone needs to pull him aside uh, and say the shots you are taking are bad well, shots. Well, see, that's what not I, dropping. So maybe maybe we're saying the same thing, but I I, I sort of see Golden State as the I, I, they just they seem apathetic a little bit, right? They seem sort of these games aren't very meaningful. <laughs> you know, I see them playing really really loose, and we've seen this, the gear that they have. Toronto hasn't won anything. 
And so what I'm looking for in Toronto when they recover is how they recover from an injury is to be galvanized and playing playing with a resolve and an intensity. In the last 10 days, the Raptors have lost to four teams they're competing with. The Heat, the Hawks, the Bucks, and the Wizards have all beaten the Raptors in the last four days. Now, I don't know who Golden State's lost to, but I go, you can't be losing to the middle of the Eastern Conference. You just can't be trying to figure it out in the middle of March. Golden State knows exactly who they are. So, again, I'd have to probably see them closer, but you're right. I see the Steph Curry off-balance 35-footer. You know, I see him playing with the confidence and swagger of a 73-9 and team, and the shots just aren't falling. So that for me is there. Golden State's almost taken on the, the what we saw of Cleveland last, the Cleveland persona of they seem to be in cruise control, um, and that's why I, I don't know. But that's I'm worried about Toronto. i I think they should be trying to play cohesive basketball, and they there's that they, they're not. Yeah, but the, the two points I'd make there is that the it's it's obviously a cruel hand they're being dealt because you make two major moves at the trade deadline. You're obviously then trying to integrate two new players and two new pieces into your team, mm-hmm. and you lose your key player in that's Kyle it. Lowry. So it's obviously that's gonna that that will derail, and we're and we're seeing a little bit of that in New Orleans as well, and not to go down that wormhole again, <laughs> but it is very difficult to to Jordan Crawford, baby. Piece. Hey, Jordan like, Crawford. Yeah, good guy. <laughs> I mean, you're exactly right. Golden State knows exactly who they are. I think they're cruising. That's why I go, Toronto, they need to be galvanizing and working shit out, and they're not. And that's oh. why I'm worried about them come April 1, with or without Lowry. Oh, I think uh, if certainly Lowry, without Lowry doesn't come back, they're, they're finished. But they're I'll, I'll say the yeah. same about Golden State. There's no way known Golden State are winning the title this year without Kevin Durant. I don't think no. they get out of the second round. Without Kevin Durant, really? You think this? I, I think this a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Because ah, oh, uh, right. Uh, that's a hot. There's a hot take for you. There's a hot. Daz and Daz disagreeing, disagreeing a little bit tonight. <laughs> I like this, Daz. Well, I just I, I've seen enough of Golden State. I do not like what I'm saying. I just think Steph Curry, and I defended Steph Curry earlier on in the podcast. But what I'm seeing, I, I don't like what I'm seeing at all. And you can put it down to well, they're not locked in. Etc. But uh, maybe he's just not capable of hitting those shots that he was hitting last year, which was a, just an unbelievable hot streak. At some point, you're going to say those if they're not dropping, they're just bad shots, and they don't, and and they're missing Bogut badly. Zaza's played. Zaza's had a really weird season because at times he's looked really good, and at other times he just looks washed up. And at the moment, he's back to uh, washed up Zaza. And they're actually going to, they're looking at Javar McGee again and things like that. So um, if someone said, look, Kevin Durant's not coming back, and, and we assume that he is, but if he's not coming back, you'd be very, very worried about what you're seeing out of the Warriors at the moment. Uh, but to, to move on to the Eastern Conference and the, the, the lower part of the, of the conference, um, we've got the, in the playoff race, we've got the Hornets, the Bulls, the Heat, the Bucks, the Pistons, and the Pacers. That's 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. Now, the Hornets, they're three and a half games back from the Bucks. I'm sort of, and the, and the Bulls are only one and a half game back from the Bucks in eighth, but I'm happy to write the Bulls off at the moment. They've lost five in a row. They look like they're an absolute mess. Uh, I'm, I'm less happy about it, but um, I'm, I'm also going to write the Hornets off 
I think they've just left themselves with too much to do at this stage of the season, and they don't really, to me, look capable. I mean, they're five and five in their last ten. That pretty much sums up their season. They don't look capable to me to rolling off six, seven in a row, which is what they'd probably have to do at some stage um, in the season. The only thing I guess in the Bulls' favour is they do have um, the easiest schedule of all the playoffs of contending teams, but gee. They just look so awful at the moment. They shot three of 22 in the first quarter today. Uh, and as you said, that might have been a hot streak for them, um, given the players that they've been throwing out there. And Cameron Payne looks like a disaster. They're talking about sending him back to the D-League. Um, they're, they're still running out Rajan Rondo and MCW and things like that. The, the point guard is, is just an absolute mess in Chicago. But are you happy to write the Bulls and the Horns off? Or can you see either of those teams... Um, pushing up and maybe still sneaking to the eight seed. I find the Hornets the most quizzical team of all 30 teams. Maybe I've, because maybe it's just one of those things where I've watched them play really well and they've lost. And I've watched them play really well and they've won. And so I can't, I can't figure, I'm not going to write the Hornets off. Um, also because the, the mathematics tells me they have the fifth best point differential in the Eastern Conference. They do, and that's that's over time is the greatest predictor of success. The, so their Pythagorean win loss is way off. They're eight games below five hundred, but their point differential says they should be, you know, just above the Pacers, you know, in the as a sixth seed. So I'm not ready to write the Hornets off entirely, just because I've seen them play. I've seen them play a lot. Um, they do need Frank Kaminsky back, though. I mean, this is another, again, this is a theme, isn't it, this year? There's critical injuries. It's just when Zeller goes down and Kaminsky comes up, and now suddenly Kaminsky's gone injured when, when Zeller comes back. So they're just never quite fully playing with the complement. They also have a pretty easy schedule. It's not Chicago easy, but it's pretty easy. So I'm not writing off Charlotte. The Bulls? Oh. Well, the Hornets actually um, they're play almost, the Bulls tomorrow too. I should point yeah, out. Okay, okay. Well, I will say if the Charlotte loses that one, then I'll write them off because they'll be four, four and a half back then, and that's a lot of ground. Because mm. I coming to the Heat, where I don't see the Heat slowing down, especially if Goron gets his eyeball back. <laughs> um, oh, that was the thing I meant to mention at the start. All the things that had happened, we had uh, Goran Dragic nearly lost his eye. Well. <laughs> Well, it's, it's just hidden. So his, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with his eyes. There's no retina damage. So um, for people, for, for all of our listeners, Goron took an elbow and it looked like something out of Game of Thrones. And he woke up the next morning. It was literally his whole face was shut. His eyeball was just closed and he's laughing about it. So so Goron couldn't see today and they neither could any of the other Miami Heat and they it was a pretty ugly game against Indiana. Um, so they lost against Indiana today. But um, the Bulls are getting, Daz, I think they're about, I'm probably about an ounce away from putting them in my New York Knicks and Lakers category. Where I'm so sick of talking about them. Like it's the dysfunction and the, the roster, everyone, everyone knew the roster was crazy, you know, in September. And then the trade at the deadline is a team with no shooting goes and trades away their only shooter and Dougie, 
Doug McDermott, and you just sort of go, what the f- – they're, they're almost as mismanaged as the Chicago Bulls, almost, or sorry, as the Chicago Bears. Oh, I just uh, – not quite, not quite, not quite. They, they, they're awful. They look awful. Their body language is awful. Rajon Rondo's playing tons of minutes. They don't have Taj Gibson, who's kind of the whole, you know, the the heartbeat of the team. Obviously, they they let Joakim Noah go last year, so their their toughness is gone. They're trying to play Bobby Portis and give him all these minutes, but then they're also playing, you know, Wade and Rondo all these minutes. They're a schizophrenic, dysfunction, ill-conceived, underperforming coach in over his head like they have they're doing nothing right that being said you've you also said already their schedule is cupcake city so i don't think it matters honestly they, you they think will need be... to play the lakers 10 times in a row to for me to have a chance who are they favorite against them? so i think that's their season's going to be defined right so they got a cupcake schedule but i go you know what they've lost five in a row Here's their next. Here's their next. And one of those four or five, five games, the Magic beat them by twenty plus. Well, they've they've only one of their games been within ten points. The Magic beat them by seven. Seven, sorry. But, oh, they must have been. That Boston, 20, sorry. they they scored twenty six points in the half against Boston. Right, they got bombed by Boston, bombed by Houston. They scored ninety one points against Orlando. They got Drummond in Detroit, and they got. You know, they were competent for a while, but the Clippers exercised their muscle. So I got they've lost five in a row. Now here's their next five: at Charlotte, loss. Loss. Yep. Charlotte. Charlotte's still playing good. Home against Memphis. Memphis still trying to get off their own losing streak. So it's kind of a, you know, which team's taking on less water? I'd probably still put my money on Memphis. Then they go at Washington. Loss. Yep, and then a back to back. So they go at Washington and come home to play Utah. Loss. And then they have a rest, and then they go at Toronto. <laughs> so I go, right. Then it gets easy. It's a whole bunch of Philly, Milwaukee, Knicks, Philly, Brooklyn, Orlando, Brooklyn. So what I got a bunch saying, of... Hang on. Why are you saying Milwaukee's this easy team in the schedule? They won six in a row. Yeah. Talk to me after their six-game West Coast <laughs> trip. <laughs> you Bucks fans, you got no, you're got always negative. Always negative. It's called realism. <laughs> well, uh, but uh, look, I don't. So honestly, the, Bulls, the only uh, team I'm, I'm backing the Bulls to boot at the moment is the Lakers. I'll back the uh, Nets to boot the Bulls at the moment. Yeah, look, momentum is momentum is huge. I just go, but you know, you look back two weeks, they beat they beat Cleveland and Golden State. You know, within a few days of each other. So there's something when they get their shit together. They can play, but then they've well, they haven't done that for the last. You know, it's the second of March is the last time they won a game, so I'm I'm ready to write them off in our next pod. If if they if they can't find a way, Charlotte, Memphis, Washington, Utah, Toronto. If they don't win three of those, they're done. If they go two and three, one and four, they're done. Well, I'm I'm calling them done now. All right, so let's, so, let's talk about the eight. I think it comes down to Pacers, Pistons, Bucks, Heat. One of those teams misses out. Three of them get in. Um, quickly rank them for me now. Um, I'll give you my rankings. I think uh, Pistons will move up. I think the Pacers will move down one. 
and I'm sorry to say, I think the, the Heat sneak into the eight seed and the poor old Milwaukee Bucks fall into the nine seed. But, but how do you sort of see that playing out? Yeah, almost bang on. The Bucks have a brutal, again, the Bucks have been, obviously, Jabari's gone, and now they've had, you know, uh, say what you will, Michael Beasley's actually had a nice season off the bench. Um, Beasley's out. He's had a knee hyperextension. And now Mears is out, and they're playing significant minutes of John effing Henson and Rashad effing Vaughn. And so I don't know how they beat Indiana and um, Minnesota over the weekend, but they did. Now they're going on the road for six games. So I think that my my beloved Bucks are going to see we're going to see them the bottom drop out. I think this Western um, Conference swing that's going to if they can win two or three games on that swing, um, they're still right in it. But the, the Pacers actually have a tough schedule as well. The Pacers have a tough schedule, and I don't like the I don't like how they play. I saw them play again last twice this last weekend. They just don't. You can just see Indiana's one of those teams, I guess, maybe a little bit like the Bucks, a little bit like the Hawks. They are not anywhere near a finished product. You know, Larry Bird in the offseason has this sudden revelation that he wants to play fast and fires the fires Vogel. Or it brings in a regime and re ups with Monte Ellis and then and then keeps Al Harrington and Thaddeus Young. Al Jefferson, actually. Al Harrington. Sorry, Al was last Harrington. in the NBL. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Al, Alan Wiggins and Al, Al, Al Harrington. Wiggins. Jesus. But the Pacers well, are one of those teams. You look at the schedule and you think, what, they beat They beat the Jazz or they beat OKC or something, and the next night they lose to the Sixers. It, like, they're just, to me, they're just one of those classic 500 teams. That they'll get to 500. Um, they'll pull out some big games. Other times they'll play terrible. I think Nate McMillan's the worst coach in the league. Um, I'm not a believer in him at all. Um, it's it's another schizo. I'm I'm with you exactly. It's it's not so much for me. He's not about anti Nate. Is you know being my organizational alignment lifestyle and everything I believe in is it has to be aligned from ownership down to the on court product. They're they're not aligned. I mean, Larry Bird wanting to play, he wants to play, fine, go for it. But then hiring Nate McMillan to do the pace and space, get me athletic, get me young, get me fast. Bird, that's all Bird wanted in the offseason. I want to be young and fast and play with better pace. Nate McMillan, are you fucking kidding me? Mm. No, it's He's a... the opposite archetype of that sort of that mm. style of play. So Hornacek would have been a better fit for for Indiana. Well, they don't have the roster, though. You can't do it with... with um, it's schizophrenic. With yeah, Monte the roster And Miles Turner was... Uh, like Miles Turner was the guy they were going to build around, but he's not necessarily a pace and space guy. And no, Paul George he's, isn't a player anymore, if he ever was. Miles Turner is a wonderful player. But I, I'm seeing George... He seems to be a guy who... I can't help but believe, Daz. I think he's counting his days... Just the body language and just the general apathy. Look, he's still he's still phenomenal, right? He's still a top twenty player, and he'll just sort of casually strut out and just drain twenty seven footers and then go down and lock down the best player and not break a sweat. But he just doesn't seem engaged. That 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 product on the floor is, is not working. Well, he's getting ready to so, save basketball in LA. 
in, in fairness to him. So Yeah, that's what I mean. And I go, Jeff Teague, yeah, he's okay. He's a nice little player. And I go, that team is basically Paul George, Miles, and a bunch of, you know, a bunch of kind of just not much of anything. No. So the, um, I think the, but, and the team, I suppose, that we the other team to look at here, um, the Pistons we spoke about a couple of weeks ago. We have spoken about the Heat before, but they're still seven through in their last ten. Um, playing some really good basketball, and I know you watched them uh, last week and had some takeaways from the game that you saw. Um, and assuming that Dragic is nothing serious with him, um, and he comes back, do you sort of see them sneaking into an eight seed? I I don't see them sneaking. I see them charging. I so they're. What was your what was your ranking? You had, had Indiana, Detroit, Miami. I've yeah, them and they only be on the back of they've got a, a tough schedule themselves. Of the teams, of Pacers have got the actual toughest schedule of them. The Pistons have got a, a, a um, yeah a really easy schedule. The Bucks and the Heat have got uh, Bucks is a little bit harder than the Heat, but the Heat not not necessarily an easy schedule themselves. Um, and I still see them night to night. You know, I don't know. It's just hard to look at their roster and think that they're going to continue on this on this improbable sort of run that they've gone on. I mean, they still brought out a player well, the other night that I'd never heard of, and I, I consider myself a reasonably uh, knowledgeable man, uh, fan of the NBA. And uh, they had W. Reed came on and scored <laughs> four straight points, a couple of blocks, rebound. Who is this guy? R. Magruder, <laughs> W. Reed, J. Richardson, right. L. Babbitt. It's like, what? It's like this team had, I mean, who didn't peg them as a, a 30 and 52 team, right? Or maybe right, a 25 win team before the year without Bosch, you know. But I tell you what, Daz, so I told you, I, I've studied them. So this has been my, this has been my, um, um, my entire sort of raison d'etre, my reason for being the last five days, is I've watched three or four Heat games, and a few, thing, a few things jumped out. I mean, absolutely jumped out at me. Um, number one, and this is going to sound ridiculous because we're talking about NBA teams, right? And I can't even believe I'm saying it, but you know what jumped out at me? This team is fit. This looks like a team from one till 12 can run and run and run. And they they never, what do I mean by that? They never have a lazy possession. They have turnovers. And waiters will do some fucking retarded stuff. And Luke Babbitt will shoot from 39 feet. Yep, they're not perfect, but they never, ever have a cheap possession. And I go, that's why I'm thinking, holy crap, you know? Here we are. That's why they're getting good in late January and February, dog days of the NBA, and they're just like this relentless, irresistible force. So they're, they they seem really fit. And I did a bit of digging. So um, one of the players who you certainly don't remember, J. Johnson, right, which stands for James. Johnson. He lost about twenty five pounds in the off season. Mm. looks looks like a different human being. 
And then similarly with um with um who was probably both of our favorite punching bags in the league, Dion Waiters for the first four or five years of his of his career. Dude, I'm telling you, he's springy. He's lost a bunch of weight. He's lost the double chin. Um, the dude runs and he's relentless and he's got nervous energy on a you know on a on a good day. You know, he's got this anxiety about him, doesn't he? He's kind of twitchy. He's not exactly a calm demeanor guy. Well, the funny thing but about Waders fit. was yeah. his comp coming out of college was Dwayne Wade. And everyone said, and don't forget, he was a high draft pick for the Cavs. He was. Um, and uh, everyone said he's going to be the next, or possibly the next Dwayne Wade. And you look at him now and you think, he's a better fit in Miami than if Dwayne Wade had stayed at this point. You are bang on, and he loves it there. So a combination of things for me. So number one, Spolstra can – holy crap, can he coach. Number two, this team never, ever quits. They have hustle, and they give effort everywhere. Number three, Hassan frickin' Whiteside. Right, he went for 26-21 and 21 today. I mean, they couldn't throw it in the ocean without Goron. They couldn't throw it in the ocean against Indiana and almost won that game without Goron, mm. um, Dragic running it. Because Hassan just creates opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. So when when Hassan is engaged, which isn't every night, I'll be fair, but holy crap, what a beast. So number three, it's Hassan. Number four, Waiters. Waiters has that confidence, right, of an alpha dog confidence. But you know what he's doing? I saw him make some really great passes. I saw him have a 28-footer. No, no, surely I, I know. I, I'm holding my hands up to the heavens. And I don't even believe in God or any of his children. I'm going, I saw, and I know, I know Daz, I go, I'm, I, I did my homework, though. I saw him pass up footers, zing interior passes, and letting, you know, J. Johnson and W. Reed finish. So Dion Waiters is playing team basketball. And they've got also got this seemingly, perhaps because I still don't know their names, they seem to have this um, completely five-legged hydra. Like everyone on their team is like six foot six to six foot ten. So Richardson and Reed and um, uh, Okara White and all these dudes are just they fly around almost interchangeably. And I think that's also why they can run nonstop for forty-eight minutes. So. Um, I, I don't see them slowing down. Well, he has I just averaged 4.4 assists a game. I'm just looking at his stats now. Four, and up from 2.7 for his career, so 4.4 assists. Um, Strange, they're only shooting 65% from the free-throw line, which is a bit of a shock, but uh, he certainly got that, those assist numbers up this year. I'm telling you, I, I'm not joking. He's moving the ball. He's not the ball stopper. And I think I'll, I can now... right. Um, Again, back to my organizational alignment from the top down, right? Pat Riley has put all the keys, you know, put the keys in the hands of Spolstra and believes in him. And Riley knows this isn't a fin- this isn't a championship caliber team, um, but Riley's not silly. They've got themselves a dare I say, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna go out on the limb. They've got the early makings of a Spurs-like culture with Spolstra. I'm saying early makings. I go, you just put players into this system. And if, Co- if Spo gets them to do this sort of play, I go, imagine if they start getting some free agents, the fun they might have. Well, I'd already so say I'm, they're on the Spurs level because you look at the Heat's history. 
they've been irrelevant franchise really for since the early 2000s actually even before that so you go back to the Alonzo Mourning heat uh, and then that went into the Dwayne Wade Shaq era then it was Wade on his own then it was Wade LeBron then, then it was Wade and, and Bosch again they're always up there always competitive and, and obviously it went from Pat Riley through to uh, Spolster as well, but Mickey Harrison is one of the better owners. He's another guy that's hands-off, doesn't get involved in the process there. So I'd already put them on the Spurs level. It, probably from the, from the Eastern Conference, if you talk about who's the best-run franchise in the Eastern Conference, to me it's the Heat, and it's Daylight Second. Yeah, you could be right, man. That's, that's, very, that's very fair. So just then, you're right. So think about the, you know, we, you and I have joked for, you know, probably back to the early pods before the Heat were in this big winning streak and just sort of joking about this pathetic roster. And I study their play and I go, holy, how do you not respect, how do you not respect their play? And I'm, you know, a little bit, it's kind of a nice reclamation story. Not that I'm suddenly a fan of Dion Waiters, but, you know, a guy like that, sort of alpha dog, um, and then suddenly gets into an environment where he's playing with Kyrie and Kyrie LeBron and he can't really shine. And he's trying to be the cool kid. He's forcing shots everywhere. And they're like, fuck off, dude. You're too mature. And they ship him off to OKC to play with Russ and Kevin Durant. And he just can't fit in, trying to be cool, just forcing things. And so he's gotten himself a giant dose of humility. And someone got a hold of him, whether it was his agent or Spolstra or whomever, and said, if you want to have a career, you probably have to lose 20 pounds and lose this fucking attitude, and he's done it. To his credit, he's done it. Mm. He's done something that Larry Sanders couldn't do, which and is Larry which Sanders is, will never do. Which is grow the fuck up. Mm. And um, so I, I do. I'm tipping my hat to what's happening in Miami. That is a that's a team that will. But that's an annoying, annoying team <laughs> who is going to fight you on every goddamn possession. And I go, they're not going to win a seven game series against Boston or Cleveland, but. Man, oh man, oh man, <laughs> they will, they will wear you out, sort of in the same way that perhaps OKC could do if their, you know, if their support players are playing well. Yeah, it's, you know, it's in not the West this year. Series. It's not going to be no, a series. No, no. Um, so I'm, I'm 100% with you. I think the Bucks fall out. I think Detroit's got too much talent, and I think the Indiana should just stick out a bit of a lead. Their, their plus minus sucks, but um, they're sort of point differential. But they got Paul George and Miles Turner. I think they'll be okay. So I think the Bucks are the losers in this in this race. Yep. Oh no, I agree. I agree, I agree with you. It's sad. I mean, look, the Bucks could certainly still make it. They're on a bit of a run themselves at the moment, but I just feel like um, they've probably gone as far as they're going to go uh, at this stage. Um, but you know, still, still a positive season overall. I feel like for the Milwaukee Bucks, um, when you look back. But we'll we'll see how it plays out from here. Um, I wanted to move on now, and we might just do the, this quickly because um, we've probably ran a bit over on on that on the uh, playoff rankings from where we thought. Um, but we're going to have our Aussie in the NBA segment now, and I wanted to talk quickly about Paddy Mills. Uh, as our focus player this week. And the reason I did that was he had a, a sort of night out against the Golden State Warriors on national TV on Sunday. And a beloved member of the San Antonio Spurs, he came over from Portland 
really signed on the say so of Brett Brown, sat on the end of the bench for a couple of seasons, and uh, they called him Fatty Paddy because he couldn't ever quite <laughs> drop the weight and get into shape. But uh, he finally, when um, when Gary Neal got moved on to the Bucks, <clears throat> he finally got his chance and he lost some weight and obviously was a key part of the 2014 Spurs Championship team. Uh, and he is a unrestricted free agent at the end of this year. And as much as the Spurs love him, um, this is a guy that's not going to be looking for a ring. He's not going to be looking for opportunities. I think he's just going to be looking to get paid at the end of the year. And I'm, uh, I'm going to be fascinated to see how it plays out. I've got an idea, I think, where he may go. Uh, I don't think he'll stay at the Spurs. I don't, I don't think the Spurs are going to be willing to offer him the sort of money that he's going to be demanding on the open market because I think he's one of those players that really fits in almost any team in the NBA the way it's played today. Um, and, I, and I'm sort of keep hearing this rumour that George Hill's coming back to the Spurs, which I, I love the sound of. But from uh, Paddy Mills' point of view, I think if he went somewhere, you look at some of the best fits for him in the league. And what I would say to teams is just buy, beware in this sense. You want to understand what you're getting when you're getting Paddy Mills. You're not getting a starting point guard. You're getting a guy that's going to come off the bench, give you some instant offense. He's a knockdown shooter, underrated defender, but he really does need another ball hander, I feel. Like most of the times when he's playing, with the Spurs in those five minions, he's got Manu or Kawhi to play off. So, I th- you know, you'd hate to see like the Nets go out and say, this is our starting point guard next year, or the, or the Knicks, heaven forbid, try and bring him in to be a starting point guard there. I think what's more likely to happen is he'll go to, say, Philadelphia, Brett Brown being the coach there. They've got a past relationship. Play off the bench there, maybe playing units with um, where, where Simmons, Ben Simmons, can take some of the ball handling responsibilities. Maybe even the Bucks, dare I say it, with, with Giannis, they're taking some of the um, some of the responsibilities. And, of course, Utah, I think, is another nice fit for him if he was able to come off the bench there. Um, you've got Dante Exxon, assuming they keep Haywood. You've got other guys that can sort of handle the ball and he can spot up, shoot, um, or hit shots on the run. But where do you see his fit? I guess, um, and what have you made of, of Paddy Mills over the last couple of seasons in the NBA when he really has made a name for himself? Well, I like the... Um, it was one of those games when Pop had to rest. I think it was the Sacramento game when they um, a few days ago when they rested everybody, wasn't it, Daz? And right. Sacramento, Sacramento had that huge lead 20 and points. 28 points lead, and obviously the Spurs came back and won. It was some point was at some point during that run in the second half and I'd seen Patty make a few plays, make a few shots, make a couple smart passes. And uh, it was just, I caught this glimpse, right? Which told me probably all I need to know is I think I mentioned to you, I saw pop almost open mouth, kiss him. <laughs> he was so happy and so proud. You could just see him almost going, Oh my God, you, you, Pop was just bursting with, you could just see, you have just done everything we've always worked on and done it to perfection. He was, you could just see Pop bursting with this pride and emotion and, and motherfuck yeah, we're going to come back in this game. Yeah. And fuck you, Adam Silver, for let me bench my fucking players, <laughs> right? It's all wrapped in one, oh, Patty Mills kind of man wrestle kiss hug. 
on the sideline. So there was this, and Patty's just sort of like, you know, he kind of almost shrugs it off. Like, you know, your, your creepy aunt is coming over to kind of, you know, your aunt Selma's trying to kiss you with her cigarette mouth. And you're like, Oh God. <laughs> so Patty's almost kind of hiding from pop. So, uh, but what that told me, right. Is he fits, he fits well in San Antonio and you rattled off a few teams. I go, he's going to fit well in a lot of places. Daz, He's shooting 40% from three for his career. Mm. I think he's up to like 42% this year. And so he'd be a perfect sort of an upgrade over Adela Vadova in Milwaukee. I could see him being a massive upgrade, you know, working behind, um, for heaven forbid, give Russ Westbrook a goddamn break every now and again. You know, yeah, Ru- I did think, you know, okay, so that's another nice fit. Yeah, because, you know, they dimped, they'd obviously they dumped campaign and so probably, you know, perhaps looking for a nice upgrade uh, and not just a, you know, a 10-minute well, upgrade. Well, some play with, with um, Russ. He could play with him. That's right. And spell him. So mm. I sort of OKC, Milwaukee, um, you know, where else could he fit? I think he'll um, go to the Sixers. It, I'll make that call right now. I think the Sixers. You reckon, huh? Sixers tried to sign Manu in the offseason. So if for no other reason that Colangelo likes to get under pop skin, um, but I think the the the, um, the relationship he already has with Brett Brown, I think, will come into it. Yeah. Um, I think they've obviously got some cap money to spend. They're probably going to be looking to spend some cap money. Perfect fit for what they're trying to do. I think. They yeah, probably. TJ McConnell is going to be the starting point guard there. And if you haven't caught money the Sixers games, that guy's actually playing some really nice basketball this year. I'm not, not convinced still that he's going to be a long-term starter in the NBA, but I think for the purpose of what they want to do next year, I think they'll be happy to go with TJ McConnell. Um, and my uh, prediction would be, because I just don't think the Spurs are going to have the money under the cap to offer what he's going to demand. So I, I see him going to the Sixers, but I think... You're right. You could almost go through every single team in the league and say, he's a good fit there, and he's going to be an upgrade on what they're trying to do right now. I mean, even the Wizards, for example, you could see him coming off the bench there and making that. I mean, that's a massive upgrade on Brandon Jennings. Well, it also depends on if he wants to play, you know, if he wants to, how much he values minutes as well, because you see, like, I don't know what their cap situation will be like, but another obvious answer would be in New Orleans. Right, where they need any sort of backcourt help, and I don't know if they're going to be able to afford, you know, you know, Holiday. Who knows where Holiday's going to go? So well, I he think enjoy he's enjoy basketball. Do you think? <laughs> well, you said he just wants to get paid. <laughs> so if he like enjoyed basketball, he'd stay in San Antonio. If it's all about the money, maybe New Orleans. But I think right? he does enjoy playing the game. Right? That, that, right. There's nothing that would suck the joy out of the game more than going playing New Orleans at the moment. <laughs> Well, playing for LA, oh, that's or true. sorry, or the Knicks, the right? Knicks, so yeah, I'm sure there's probably worse places. But like, I'm gonna, that's a nice fit. I don't know what <laughs> I don't know what you're banging on about TJ McConnell. That dude's gonna lose his job as soon as Ben Simmons comes back, and if Jared Bayless hadn't missed the entire season, this is like a he's like a poor man's Michael Carter Williams. I think he's a nice little story, but I don't McConnell is. Yeah, he, he should be playing a Della Vadova type role. He shouldn't be playing 26 minutes a game. He's just so limited physically. No, I, I don't think disagree. he'll be the starter, but I think Ben Simmons will be play a lot more point forward. But I think yeah. as a starting five, they might say, let's throw McConnell out there. 
then if Paddy, they sign Paddy for argument's sake, he'll come yeah. off the bench. Uh, but Simmons will certainly be the, the point guy. Uh, yeah. That team. Without, but we digress. I mean, the, the point of the – I think Paddy Mills is a perfect – it's a great spotlight. He's had a great week um, with my, my pop kissing highlight. Um, very attractive. And I think something in you and I mentioned offline is – is I'm interested to see how this um, seemingly decade-long transition away from Tony Parker and Ginobili, mm. just how much of a role Patty Mills might play in the playoffs. You know, when you're getting deep into games and legs are going, I I wonder this will his maybe his mind hasn't been made up yet. Maybe the Spurs' mind has been made up. But let's see what he's made of. You know, he's probably going to be asked to do more than he's ever done. In San Antonio, I think it's probably fair to assume that he could be presented with that chance in the next, you know, April and May time frame. Oh, I think you'll see so a lot of uh, Kawhi basically playing the point, and and Paddy's going to be out there with him in some of their crunch time lineups. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, yeah, he is, that'll he is be a very nice interesting. Defender. I saw him; he picked up James Harden at half court, and he actually harassed Harden so much Harden have to pass it off. So it's pretty rare you see a guy get under. Get under Harden's skin, even if it's only for just one possession. But he's an he's an underrated defender, so he, they're not going to lose a hell of a lot with him playing crunch time minutes. And, and Tony Parker, as much as I love TP, uh, he just looks done at this stage. He's dealing with a bad back. He just yeah. doesn't lift anymore. Um, you know, he, he's almost turned into a bit of a spot up shooter himself when he's out there, and he's not the greatest. Yeah. Certainly, Paddy Mills far better. Uh, three-point shooter suiting option than, than what Tony Parker is. So he's sort of Derek Rose South. He is, yeah. <laughs> That's right. I mean, but yeah. people people forget just how good Tony Parker was too. Let's not let's not lose sight of that he was. Um, he went toe to toe. It's nothing but father that. time. Yeah, it's not a criticism. That's yeah. right. And no. the Spurs fans lose their mind when you criticise Tony Parker. It's just like, no, no, no. Look, he's, he's no just, just slowing down his career now. That's right. So anyway, well, we, we wait for the off-season, I suppose, and see where Paddy Mills ends up. But I think there's no doubt about this. He is going to get a very nice contract and a well-deserved one um, for a guy that's really saved his career through hard work and just accepting his role and, and not sort of stepping outside of that yep. on a night-to-night basis. Just um, one, one other real quick. This is probably not the same level as, as a Paddy Mills, but the other um, Aussie of the week... Um, mention I wanted to make was it that better not be Thon. No, it's not Thon. <laughs> no, he hasn't done much the last couple of days. It's been Spencer Hawes and John Henson. I should say S Hawes, <laughs> J Henson. Why these fucking guys on my team? Is that well? Since the Bucks beat um, the Wolves and uh, Indiana have slid into the eighth spot, they've obviously dropped out of the lottery. And um, in their new tankathon ranking at number 16, they're now slated to pick in many mocks Terrence Ferguson, who obviously is playing for the oh, yes. or played for, played for 36ers, the, yes. the 36ers this week. So that's the if you check out tankathon, they've got him the Bucks taking Terrence <laughs> Ferguson one spot behind, you know, De'Aaron Fox going to uh, um, interestingly going to the Nuggets. So. Um, well, I did but, see uh, anyway. Ferguson play live uh, during his time in Adelaide, and I really struggled to know what to make of it because he didn't. Sh- he, I think he shot the ball about twice all night. 
played okay on the defensive end, but I guess the one positive was he certainly accepted his role. He wasn't out there uh, just trying to jack up shots because he knows he's going to be a draft prospect. So he certainly accepted his spot within that team, but um, he's, he didn't really do anything either to make me think he's going to come in and, and um, be a massive contributor from day one. But I guess there's a larger discussion there about what is the best way to develop players. Would you prefer to see them come straight out of the professional league playing against grown men uh, or playing in the college game? Uh, whereas you know, some of the com- competition is certainly a bit more lax uh, on a night-to-night basis. Yeah, yeah. Well, the Bucks certainly had their experience with um, with Brandon Jennings. Went over in Europe and played, didn't he, for a season. He was sort of not the first, but it felt like that was sort of the first high-profile lottery pick who um, who played overseas and, and skipped college. And, yeah, it's, it's a, a bit decent... mixed, isn't it? I mean, Moody has been it's, a bit it's of a disaster. Mixed. Moody, so too, it's... that's right. It's yeah. hard. So, so it's probably, um, I think with the um, NCAA tournament now tipping off on Thursday, and um, I guess we're probably getting closer to some tankathon updates. Yeah. We'll maybe maybe it. sort of pod 12 or so. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So let me just end now. I just want to give you a quick quiz. Uh, we, we've done the quiz a few weeks here. We're going to try and get back into it now. And I know one of the ways that I – really got involved in the NBA back in the early 90s was through the, the arcade game NBA Jam. And I know, Darren, you were a, a player of the NBA Jam as well back in the days of the 92-93 season. I've yes. got now the rankings of the pop, the most popular to the oh, least popular. Okay? God. Now, I want to know right. from you, I'll, I'll, I'll save the spoiler because the least popular team, this will shock you to know, is none other than the Milwaukee Bucks. Yes, now, I know exactly who I'm almost certain I know this. So yes, they this was in the in the depths of of Milwaukee Bucks irrelevance. I'm pretty certain it was Brad Lowhouse. It was, yes. And, and Blue Edwards. That's correct. Brad yeah. Lowhouse and Blue Edwards. Yeah, and only kids in Wisconsin are gonna remember that because no one outside of Wisconsin played the Bucks on NBA Jam, unless you lost a bet. No, I never used the Bucks. I did use this no. next time. The number 26 was the Washington Bullets. They had Tom Gugliotta. Yeah. Yep. And do you remember the second one? Googs and... No, I don't. Harvey Grant was the second oh, one. <laughs> Children of a lesser Grant. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Now, I'll give you the next couple, then I'll ask you. So we've got the Minnesota Timberwolves, which was Christian Leitner and Chuck Person. Okay. You had the Mavericks, who had Derek Harper. And Derek Mike, Harper. Uzzaloni. Yeah. Uzzalino, yeah. Uh, Sacramento Kings had Wayman Tisdale and Spud Webb. Let's see if you know the Boston Celtics. Boston Celtics were number 22. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. Um, Reggie Lewis. Yes. And... And I don't know. Kevin McHale in his last season. What? Yes. McHale was at NBA Jam? That's right. Wow. Original. Uh, then the Lakers had James Worthy, Vlade Divac. Uh, oh. Miami Heat had Ronnie Cycli and Glenn Rice. Uh, here's another team I used to enjoy using, the Los Angeles Clippers. Do you remember who the Clippers had? They had someone fun that could dunk. Um 
Oy, oy, oy. This is a crazy good quiz. Um, Clarence Weatherspoon? No. Weatherspoon. It's Philadelphia, wasn't he? He was Philadelphia. He's not listed here as being on the game, but I do remember him being on Remember game. Weatherspoon? Yeah. It's, no, I'm, it's I'm blanking on the Clippers. and Ron Harper. Uh, oh, so right. I, I used Sorry. to like him yeah, yeah. in terms of one guy that could dunk and one guy that could shoot outside. Uh, yeah. The 76ers here had Hersey Hawkins and Jeff Hornacek. Oh, two uh, little guys, yeah. The Hornets had Larry Johnson, Kendall Gill. The Sonics had Sean Kemp and uh, it says Benoit Benjamin, but I remember Gary Payton being there as well. So uh, the Denver Nuggets had Dikembe, Matombo and Lafonso Ellis. Orlando that was Magic, one of my favourites, yeah. Yeah, Orlando For Magic, some reason. Do you remember who they had? One of them's obvious, one of them not so much. I do actually, because this was another popular one. So it was um, it was Shaq and Scott Skiles, wasn't it? That's right. Yep. Yeah. Now this yeah. is my favourite team to use. Uh, was the Cleveland Cavaliers? Do you remember who they had? Yes. Um, I was a favourite too because I used to use them and Indiana for the three point shooting. That was Mark Price and it must have been Doherty, right? Yep, Brad Doherty. Yeah. And my so I love them. And team was the next one was Portland. Oh, so Derek Porter, or sorry, Derek, Terry, Terry Porter, Porter and yeah. was it Jerome Kersey? No, Clyde the Glide. Oh, it was both of the backcourt. Okay, mm. okay. Indiana Pacers, you've mentioned them. Do you remember who they had? Yeah, Reggie Miller and um, um, German dude. Yeah. Detle- yeah. Detle- Detlef, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I used to be the dude who just have Mark Price and Reggie Miller and just annoy the hell out of people <laughs> shooting 30 shooting footers threes. and they were on fire. Everyone from just everywhere. look at me and go, Why are you shooting threes? Aren't you supposed yeah. to try and dunk in this yeah. game? Uh, Detroit Pistons had Isaiah Thomas and Bill Laimbeer. Atlanta were a good dunking team. Do you remember who they had? Dominique, probably. And... Dominique and the Plastic Man. Oh, Ogman. Stacey Ogman, that's right. Oh, good one. Good the one. The Knicks were a bit of a boring team, to be honest with you, but uh, they had two absolute. Uh, boosts in the post. Ewing and Oakley? That's right. Yeah, right. I remember them with Denver. It was Matombo and Lafonso. It's like the yep. all-giant team. That's right. Yep. Then you had the Nets had Derek Coleman and Drazin and Pet- Petrovic. Oh, rest his soul. Yeah. Uh, the Bulls, now Jordan wasn't available for this game, so they had to have Scotty Pippen and Horace Grant. Well, Jordan didn't allow him to have his image yeah, rights or something, right. didn't he? Uh, Jerk. Golden State, do you remember <laughs> who they had? Oh, TMC. Yep. Um, well, it wasn't uh, – Mitch Richmond wasn't there, but it was the two, two-thirds. Oh, okay. I wouldn't, I wouldn't remember which two, but I knew, I'm sure it was it two was of Tim the three. It was Tim Hardaway and Chris Mullen, yep. Was it? Oh, okay. Who were the my beloved Spurs? Do you remember who they had? <laughs> um – there's been the Sean Elliott era. That's right. Sean Elliott and the Admiral David Robinson. Oh, Admiral was around, was he? Mm. Okay. Wow. No, God, I'm blanking on that one. That's embarrassing. Houston had the Hakeem the Dream and Kenny Smith. So we've got two teams left. The Phoenix Suns. Do you remember who the Phoenix Suns had? Oh, God, yeah. I, I fucking cried when John Paxson made that shot mm. in game six. Barkley and Marley. That's right. So the Sun, Yeah, Suns have always been my number two team. 
And yep. the most the most popular were the Utah Jazz, and it's pretty obvious you would think. Oh, Stockton Malone. Been, yep, Stockton Malone. So yeah, right. So great walk down memory lane. Oh, there. wonderful. Some of wonderful. our favorite favorite teams, although Brad Brad Lowe's Blue Edwards. <laughs> I never well, maybe, That's maybe next time we'll have a we'll have a radio call in and see if anyone would have gotten that on the spot. Man, uh, that's a good one. All right, well that's a good what? way to leave this one, Darren. We've we've spoken for this could set a record. I don't know if we'll do a two parter or just throw it all up there. Who knows? Well, we got a chunk to cut out in the middle, though, don't we? From that's the... right. There's a little bit to cut yeah. out. So, dear right, me. Look, good to talk to you again. Um, and we'll uh, we'll certainly aim to do this again next week. And who knows what sort of twists and turns um, we get between now and then. Yeah, I'm looking forward to Giannis playing out in Golden State. He always gets under their skin. That so should be good. We'll see what happens. Okay, pal. All thanks. Right, mate. Thanks, mate. Have talk a good soon. one. Bye.